0: I'm Yofit climber. This is our third class. Um, we started reading the, um, the introduction to the book of Exodus um, last week. And I want I wanted to I want you to see today, that's the new sources I sent you. Um, I wanted to go over the introduction um, by Ramban. Like the the prologue that he writes to the, to his to his entire co- commentary on on the book of Exodus, and he continues <laughs> what we saw. He continues what we saw um, last week, but he has his emphasis as we saw in the midrash uh, on the light and the dark, and um, but but Ramban Rabbi Moshe ben Ahman who lived in Spain in the 13th century. Uh, he was one of the, the great leaders of, the, of, the, of that Renaissance time in Spain. He had to leave Spain uh, um, after uh, a big dispute or debate he had with a very famous uh, convert, a Jew who converted to Christianity, Pablo Cristiani, uh, who um, told the king, um, Jacob, the 1st, in Spain, that the Jews, all they have in their uh, holy writing is is things against Jesus and against the king. So the king uh, called um, um, the, Ram, the Ramban uh, to come and debate with uh, Pablo Cristiani and he actually won. The king decided that Ramban gave good answers. But uh, nevertheless, after a year, uh, the, the inquisition and, the, and, and the, Christian author- the, the Christian authorities came to the king and changed his mind and said, well, if you're not gonna punish the Ramban for winning the, the debate, that's gonna cause a lot of trouble because Jews will start thinking you know, they can, uh, that they're better than us. And the king, because he was fairly a good king, he called Ramban and he said, Listen, I'm giving you a, a, a month, take up your family, take up your stuff, and leave Spain. Because if not, I won't be able to protect you. And that's why Ramban left Spain and moved to the land of, 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 of Israel and to his to his happiness, actually. He was very pleased to be to be in Israel. So we're talking about the 13th century. And the Ramban is the first commentator to add in his commentary a new thing that never happened before, and that is uh, the the new mysticism, the new the 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 the, um, the 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 secrets of the reading of the Torah from the Kabbalah, from the Zohar, and and the Ramban, being being a mystic himself, is writing a commentary that is also based on the midrashim of of, of Hazal, but also add and sometimes even the you know the 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 plain under, understanding of the of the verses but also adds a very a secretive aspect to what he's writing and he has he was really a giant he wrote also a commentary on on the talmud and he's giving us like a a, a vision from up from from above on the on the entire uh, pentateuch and when he talks about Exodus, um, and I, I, you have here the Hebrew and the English, and and um, and so this is what this is what the Ramban the Ramban is saying about about Sefer Shemot before he starts uh, to to give a commentary on each and every verse. So the uh, Shemot, and these are the names of the children of Israel in the book of Genesis, which is the book of creation the torah completely completed the account of how the world was brought forth from nothing and how everything was created so two things are important here to the rambam to to mention one is that the, the genesis is the book of creation sefer habriah this is the book of creation and the torah completed the, uh, the account is uh, Torah in the book of Genesis is telling you how the world was, was brought forth from nothing to everything that we see today. And with that, he's following the steps of the Ramba, Maimonides, that his main uh, criticism or disagreement with the Aristotle uh, point of view on the world was on the question, was there something in the world that from that something God created the world? And the Rambam said, no, the Jewish perspective, the Jewish belief, the Jewish theological theological um, understanding is that God created the world something from nothing. There was nothing and God by his words, by his action, by anything, everything that we cannot understand, created the world. And it's important for the, Ram, for the Ramban Nachmanides, to say it as well, from nothing and how everything was created, as well as an account of all the events which be, which befell the part the the patriarchs, who are uh, who are a sort of creation to their seed. Okay, so that's another interesting statement by um, uh, by the Ramban. The beginning of the book of, of Genesis is how the world was created, and and the, and like the first few hundreds of years. But then when, he, when we come to talk about the patriarchs, why, does, why is that considered to, book, to be creation? Because the Ramban believes that everything that happened to our forefathers and foremothers, to, our, to the patriarchs and, and the matriarchs of Am Israel, it was like creating a path to their children. So it's, just, it's not just the creation of the world. It's also a creation of paths. In humanity, by Adam by Noah to, seven, to the 70 nations, by Abraham to his children, and then by Yitzhak and Yaakov to the Jewish to, to Bene Israel, to the children of Israel. And that is also a genesis. That is also some sort of creation. It's creating a path uh, to their seeds, to their to their to their offsprings, to their children, to the nation to come and all the events that happened to them were symbolic uh, occurrence in, uh, indicating and, and foretelling all that was the this uh, destined this I can't say that word I uh, uh destined to come upon their seeds okay and i want you to show the hebrew it's a famous it's a famous sentence by the ramban ramban omer um ולהודיע כל עתיד לבוא להם, ואחרי שישים יצחיל לעניין בעניין הדבר, מנראים איזה ימהם. ביצירת כל נוצר ומקרי האבות, שהם יצירה לזרעם. Okay, מקרי ציוריהם. This is the sentence. מקרי ציוריהם. Like everything that happened to our forefathers, everything that happened to the three fathers and the four mothers, is indicating something that will happen to the children. Their story. Is creating something in the world that we can see the pattern that happened to them, happening to um, to their children, and it's as as he says, it's symbolic occurrences indicating and foretelling all that's going to happen to their seed. And after having comp- completed the account of the creation, the Torah begins another book concerning concerning the subject that had been alluded to in those symbolic events recorded in the book of Genesis. The book of Shemot, Exodus, is what happened to their children, which is symbolic to what happened to, their, to, to the forefathers. And if we look and, and says the Ramban, that's why Exodus is actually a, 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 a continuing a continuance of the book of Genesis. As we read last week uh, of the commentator who said it's, it's book one and book two. It's not two separate topics. It's continuing. Sefer Shemot continues the book of Genesis. Because after we, we saw and understood the life of the, of the patriarchs, now we can understand the life of their children. But it's happening in a different land. It's happening in Mitzrayim. And says the Ramban, the book of of El Shemot was set apart from the story of the first exile, which had been clearly decreed and the redemption uh, uh, therefore. The book of El Shemot was set apart for the story of the first exile. The children of Israel go down to Egypt, says the Ramban, let's look what it is it's an exile they were in the land of israel and they had to move to egypt but it was supposed to be temporarily till the the famine on canaan will be will end but they found themselves you know dwelling in the land of egypt for hundreds of years that was an exile the seeds to that was already in the stories of abraham Abraham, there was a famine in the land of, of, of Canaan and he went down to Egypt, but then he had some struggling with Paro and with Sarai, what happened to her. And it happened again uh, with Avimelech and it happened again with, with, uh, with Yitzchak who didn't go to Egypt, but he had, he had something to do. He had also a, a thing with famine and a foreign king. And obviously, Yaakov didn't go to Mitzrayim first. He went to Haran and stayed there for 21 years. And then he goes down to Egypt. In other words, it was as if the Ramban is saying everything that happened in Sefer Shemot, we could see it, see it in the book of Genesis. It was already there in, in the book of in, in Bereshit. And it was clearly decreed. And the redemption, therefore, in other words, if we hear about an exile in the Jewish tradition, as we understand in the Jewish text, the other side of the coin of exile is redemption. Whenever you see exile, you should know redemption will come. That happened to Abraham, that happened to Yaakov, and that's what's gonna happen to their children. And if you rem- if you remember the beautiful story about Rabbi Akiva and his friends. After the the um, the destruction of the Second Temple, Rabbi Akiva is walking with his friends at the outskirts of Jerusalem, and, and they're all crying to see, you know, the the ruins of the of the of the temple. And Rabbi Akiva is laughing, and they tell him, "How can you laugh? We are watching destruction." And he says, "No, no. You see only one part. I see the other part. I see the part of the." of the Of the prophecy that said, if we see, if we see exile, if we see destruction, there will also be redemption and and that's what Ramban is saying, Ramban, and the amazing thing about about what he's saying is the fact that he lives in a deep, deep, deep exile. You know he's living in Spain in the thirteenth century. Jews were in exile for eight hundred years already. There are very, very, very few Jews in Israel. The entire world jury is scattered around the world in North Africa, in Egypt, in in Spain, in Germany, in Italy, in in um, in France. Um, where else? Some some in some in the area of Bavelle. but there This is like Jews are are secondary citizens. They suffer from 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 you know persecutions by the Christians. Christian world or the the Islam world. And when the Rambam, I feel that when the Rambam writes his introduction to the book of of Genesis, of of Exodus, he said he's talking to to the people in his time and he's telling them, listen, it's true. It's really, really horrible and we are in exile. But don't forget that the other side is redemption and it will come. It might not come in our generation. But it will come, and this is like a this is like a code word that is passed was passed on from generation to generation in the Jewish world, saying, "You know we've been there in Genesis, we've been there in in Egypt, we've been there we we left egypt, we, we got into the into the into the holy Land, we were exiled again to you know ar- amongst the nations, but we will be back again, and redemption and redemption will come." And this is why, says the Ramban, this is why he reverted and began this second book of the Torah with the names of those people or persons who went down to Egypt. Why do we have to read the names again? We read them at the end of Sefer Bereshit. Why do we open the book of of Exodus? El These are the names of the Jews, of, of the children of Israel who went down to Egypt. And so, why do we do that and mention their total number? Although this had already been written, it is because their descent thereto constituted the beginning of the exile, which began from that moment on. And the Ramban is saying something very interesting. He says the description of the people of of the children of Israel going down to Egypt at the end of the book of of Genesis. Belonged to a story that was supposed to be temporary, but when we open the book of Shemot, we already know that this is going to take long time. So we have to remind ourselves the names of those people who uh, who came down to Egypt, and from them we started, you know, to become a nation in exile who needed redemption and and uh, and the rest and the rest of the story because it starts here. It starts by the people, the 70 people who came down to Egypt and all of a sudden became you know, a huge number of people. And as we saw last week, and the first person who calls them a nation, looks at them and says, hey, they're not a family anymore. They're not even a huge family anymore. They became a people. That was, the, that was Pharaoh. Continues the Rambanes says, now Now the exile was not completed until the day they returned to their place and were restored to the status of their fathers. The end of the story is not even leaving Mitzrayim. The end of the story is only when, they went, when they'll go back to the land of Canaan, because that will end the story. Their forefathers came down, came, came come out of Canaan to Canaan, and then uh, they went down to Egypt and the story will end, will have a closure only when they restore their status of their fathers and go and be, you know, their own people in the land of Canaan. And when they left Egypt, even though they came forth from the house of bondage, they were still considered exiles because they were in a land that is not theirs. It took time, that's another step. Well, first we thought that when we leave Mitzrayim, okay, that's redemption. No, redemption will be completed only with entering the land of Israel. But then says the Rambam, that's not even enough. When we come to the land, the land is not ours. We have to, we have to, um uh, we have to conquer the land from the from 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 the people in the land with the help of God. Uh, the, we don't feel yet that the people that the land is ours, even though God promised our forefathers that the land is ours. And entangled in the and uh, and they're still not theirs, and they're entangled in the desert. And when they come, and when they came from Mount Sinai and made the tabernacle and the holy one blessed He uh blessed he caused his divine presence to dwell again amongst them they returned to the status of the fathers when uh, when the uh, sod, sod eloka and okay, the, the, it's the, the secret of God was upon their tent and they were those who cons- co- constituted the chariots of the holy one and then they were considered redeemed it was for the for this reason. That this second book of the Torah is concluded with the consuming of the building of the tabernacle and the and the glory of the eternal f- uh, filling uh, of of the eternal filling uh, it always. Now, what it, what does the Rambam means here? And the Rambam says, if the goal is entering the land of Canaan, fine. So let us wait till we get to Canaan, and then uh build the build the mikdash and uh everything will be completed and he said no in that aspect god was very merciful with us and he knew that the people of israel in order to have you know the the patience to wait till they go to the land of israel they need to know that god is dwelling amongst them and that's why he's giving an order to build the tabernacle and the tabernacle was actually you know it was a tent they can they can uh, um, um, uh, p- pick up, you know, fold into into few boxes and carry with them to the next step, where they stop and took it out and rebuild it and then repack it again and move and move on. It's not it's not a it's not a a, a permanent building. The mishkan is something you can take everywhere with you. Ramban is not saying it here, but but. I, I, if I if I continue his idea, in the desert for the people of Israel left Mitzrayim, it was important for them to feel, to know, to see something physical that expressing the fact that God Shchinah is dwelling amongst the people. But the fact that the 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 Mishkan was portable, that the Tabernacle was portable, I think is also a foreshadowing, or as the Ramban is saying, like it's it's a it's It's symbolic for later, because we all know when the people of israel will they will enter the land of Israel, but after a few hundred years uh they will be in the land of Israel for eight hundred years, and then the first exile will happen, destruction of the of the first temple by Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babel, and we go to 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 Galut Babel, the exile of Babel, and then we come back and then again after the discretion this destruction of the 2nd temple was scattered around the Roman Empire and definitely after. After, uh, Bar-Kochba's rebellion and in a way. The fact that the people of Israel know. That once upon a time in the desert, that the dwelling of God was portable that meant. That we don't really need the building in in order to carry God with us. So when the temple was destroyed twice, the people of Israel, wherever they could be with the instruction of the Chachamim, they could be their own tabernacle. And they could, if they carry God within them, the Jewish identity would remain. And in in a miraculous way, really, it's it's like a historical uh, um, detail or fact that all historians don't have to be Jewish in order to Acknowledge that remarkable fact of the of the Jewish existence throughout through you know more than uh two two hundred and two thousand two hundred and two thousand and five five hundred years of keeping the same language and the religion and the belief of God with not having a center, not a political center, not a spiritual center, because the centers moved in. To the communities, after the, the the temple was destroyed, it moved into the shuls, it moved into the communities, it moved into the soul of the of the of the people, and I think the 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 symbol for that or the or the precedent for that was the the tabernacle in the desert. There's another beautiful thing that I want to say about the tabernacle because I don't know if we'll get to the building of the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus because we just I just wanna. Move the people of Israel from a family to a nation, but I just want to say something about the tabernacle that Rabbi Sachs um, loved to mention and he said. That um, uh, he used to have a, a weekly meeting with uh, Tony Blair when he was the prime minister of England and Tony Blair is a very religious person, a Christian, of course. And uh, and he loved learning Bible with uh, with uh, Rabbi Sachs, and Rabbi Sachs said that he never knew what's the what's the topic that jo- Tony Blair will bring every time he came. He didn't prepare anything, and he would come, and Tony Blair would ask him a question, and then and he said one one time, I get there, and he's like, and and uh, and uh, Tony Blair is like, I don't understand these, I don't understand these boring chapters at the end of the book of Exodus so many details so many parts why do we have to hear so twice the building of the tabernacle what's so important of the building of the tabernacle and rabbi sack said um, uh, and he said well let me, let me let me let me even enhance your question if we count the um, the verses of the description of creating the world we have if i, I hope i i get the number right we have 36 or 31 verses when we look at that at the Purakim, the chapters of this of the tabernacle, we're talking about hundreds of, of verses. And Rabbi sex says, you know why? Because to, for God. To create the world, it's nothing, but for us, human beings to create a place for God. Well, that takes a lot of work that takes a lot of intense and a lot of, uh, of, of, of doing the right thing. And, and I think I think that's very beautiful. But the 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 uh, the, um, the comparison between between the chapters of the of in other words, when we look at the entire book of, of Shmot, it, it, it's true the the description of the Tabernacle takes, t- Tabernacle takes a lot of time because it is important because this is the first let's let's call it vehicle of the people of Israel to feel that they belong to feel that they have a channel to God and they can take it with, it, with them uh, everywhere. And they had to work hard to build it. And it's the first thing in, in hundreds of years of as an authority telling them to build something that belongs to them. Just imagine the people of Israel in Egypt being told to build the two cities of Pitom and Ramses. Everything they did was for the Egyptian rulers. Everything they did Including the lives that they that that they lost, building all, all these places, to be a slave and 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 I go back now to the beginning of Shemot. We'll see the verses again. To be a slave is never to have confidence on the on the next day. You don't know if you're going to die. You don't know if you're going to have food. You don't know who's who's from your family is going to die. You don't know what what cra- new crazy decrees the Pharaoh will bring upon you. And you only see, you know, the next step in front of you and the next moment. You can never think about the future. And a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing about being a person, um, and it's another thing that um Rabbi Sachs really, really uh uh loved saying is that as as people, and he was he was um uh he was he was um quoting here, uh, uh, a a Jewish American psychologist, uh, Martin Seligman, who is, who is the founder of the positive psychology, you know, many of the founders of, of a field in psychology were Jewish. You know, Freud and Newman and Adler and Seligman and Aaron Beck, they were all Jewish, except a few of them. But, but, but Rabbi Sachs is quoting something from, from Seligman that Seligman with a positive with a positive um, psychology said against, you know, the, the, um, the classic psychoanalytic approach of let's dig in your past, let's talk about your relationship with your parents and, and find out all the pathologies of your, of your past. And Seligman said, no, we have to look forward. A human being is, dif- is, dif- is different from the other animals in nature, by the fact that we are able to think about the future, we are able to imagine things that never happened yet, and about you know taking our abilities and saying, "You know what, I would really like to be this or would really like to do that?" And that sometimes you know has make has to make me do things in the present, but we can really think far what God is doing in the entire process of creating a nation from a family and creating a nation that comes in a covenant with God is installing in us first of all the trust in his words when i say something you can trust me this is what's going to happen i am not like your pharaoh that can promise things and 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 you know and disobey and 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 re, um regret the next minute there's some there's an authority there's a god that is consistent that is lovingly, unconditionally, and and his word is a word. That's one thing. But the other thing that God is teaching those people, those slaves that became a nation and then became the, you know, accepted um, the Torah is start imagining a future where you can be. You know, it's a, it's a good, it's a big question. You know, the question of the four years in the desert. Many, many answers. One answer is, well, what can we do? It's because of the, uh, of the meraglim the, the spies and and that and that's a punishment but that's not the only approach There's other parashanim, mostly modern ones who say no we had to have 40 years it was it it, it, was, it was it was it was not as a result of the sin of the meraglim it's as if we had to it was just an excuse the sin of the meraglim was just an excuse because we had to have the 40 years in order to in order to teach us how to become a free Free people with freedom of choice, with a covenant with God, with new rules about how to create um, um, a society who is based on just, just judgment and justice. And that takes time. But I'd like to suggest another thing, that what, what, what God is keep telling the people of Israel, I will take you to the, to the land of, of milk and honey. Now, it's a land they've never been to maybe they even forgot the stories that their forefathers and mothers told them 210 years ago you know who would remember you become a slave you, you you as as i said before you hardly think about tomorrow nevertheless to think about the stories you've been told and god is saying well listen part of being human is is having dreams and ha- and, and imagine the the possibilities that can be in the future so yes you have forty years now to to imagine how this land is going to be. You're forty years now to 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 imagine what you can do when you enter the land, and what what you can do as individuals, as tribes, and and as a nation. And from here, I'd like to let me just stop this and and go back to um the verses. In in Perik Aleph, um, I I brought the English just just so I wanna. I want to be clear that we have, we have the, the meaning of the words uh, for everyone in their head. And then we, go, we move into the, uh, the parshanut. So we're in the beginning of Sefer Shmot. These are the names of the, of the son of, of Yaakov, you know, went down to Egypt, each coming with their, with their um, household, et cetera, etc., etc. Verse five, the total number of persons that were Jacob's issue came to 70 and Joseph being already in Egypt, we discussed that. And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the Israelites, see, pay attention to, um, to the word "but." Israel? The, the, the translator here is doing a nice job. The word in Hebrew is Israel, and in the meaning of "but," in, in other words, it's a surprise. You, we would think that Joseph died, and his brothers died, and all the generation died, and maybe the remains of the people of of Israel in Egypt who say, you know what? Everyone's dead. Let's just go back to to Canaan. But no, all of a sudden there's a surprise. But the Israelites were fertile and prolific and they multiplied and increased very greatly so that the land was filled with them. And that's a big surprise. What do we do with such a pasuk? can you say, B'nai Israel, and let me move to the... Back to the sources, uh, and just you know, have in mind that that verse. Um, they were everywhere. Now, we have two. Again, it just it's it's because the Torah was not given to us in, in pictures. And because the Torah was not giving to us with the, with the, with the music in the background, you know, we have to imagine, we have to try to to see the picture. And the way of the Torah to tell us the the story is word by word. In other words, also technically, the Torah was written in scrolls. So if it's rolled up, so you roll it and you see one word in a time, one sentence in a time. And this is how I'd like us to read that pasuk. Uvene when we read Bnei Israel, we think about the children of Israel, you know, the descendant of the 70 people. But then all of a sudden, So many uh, verbs and descriptions of, how, of the plentiful, of those people who filled up the land. And Rashi, the famous Rashi, I'm sure we all know that Rashi, and Rashi is saying, I'm Sorry, I don't have the English. I was I had a very busy day today. I didn't have time to find the translation. But Rashi says, it's a famous Midrash. Rashi is saying each woman, ha- each woman had six babies in her womb. Why is Rashi? Why does Rashi have to say that? Because he has he's doing simple math. How can you become from 70 people? To, so, to masses of people that are a danger to the people of, to, to the to the Egyptian. So for Rashi, who accepts the Midrash, if it makes sense to him, and apparently that made sense to him, and he's saying, yeah, it's, it's, each woman had six children, six uh, babies in her womb. Rashbam, the grandson of Rashi, and they had a great relationship Rashi and, uh, and Rashbam. Rashbam, Rabbi Shmuel ben Meir, was the son of, of the daughter of Rashi. Rashi Rabbi Shimon Yitzchaki, the, the giant, the great uh, commentator of the Bible and the, the Talmud lived at the, in, in Northern France at the 11th century. He had only girls and Rashi taught them Torah. And when Rashi passed away, his students went to his daughters to make sure they understood the Torah of Rashi that they remembered correctly. They were the they were the you know the channel, they 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 were the the mavens of, of the Torah of their father. It's it's really a great story. And one of the one of the grandchildren of Rashi was a, um, the Rashbam. The Rashbam had a few years together with Rashi before he passed away, be, with his grandfather. And at one point, the Rashbam, who also wrote a commentary on the Torah, writes that I know my grandfather promised that he's going to give the simple under- meaning of the text. But unfortunately, says the Rajban, that's not what he's doing. Because my, my grandfather adds a lot of Midrashim and that's not the simple meaning, but I'm going to write a commentary that is the real meaning of the verses, of the, of the, of the, 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 the immediate and the, and the simple meaning of the, of, of the Torah, of the verse, of the psukim. And he also says that when he spoke about it to his grandfather, his grandfather said, You should do that. I'm too old to rewrite my commentary. commentary so I trust you to do a good job. And therefore, the Rashbam never, almost never, adds midrash, uh, the hermen- hermeneutic parts of the, of the discussion of Chazal, in his commentary. And he's very logical. And, uh, uh, and, and, and gives exactly what he thinks the words mean. So as opposed to his grandfather, who said, how do we, you know, why do we have, and I, and I didn't mention that, I should mention that, why does Rashi say six, why six children? Because he counted the words that describe the, the multiplication, multiplication of the women, paru Six words. So because of the six words, the Rashi said, ah, six words of six children for each woman. And what does the Rashbam says? The Rashbam says, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. Paru means they got pregnant. Vayishretzu, that means they gave birth. Why is that so amazing? Because as we know, deep into the late Middle Ages, to have a healthy birth was not an everyday thing, and many women, you know, God forbid, died during giving uh, during labor, giving birth, and maybe babies didn't make it. And even if they made it, most a lot of them died in 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 a very young age. It's it was not, you know, it, it, sometimes we forget how lucky and how blessed we are. With everything around us, even yes, even with Corona and COVID, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the, the health-wise and the, all the new technology and developments is, you know, we we'll live even definitely in in in, in, in good times. Now could be better, but n- not forgetting the good thing we have in our life. So the Rashbam says the miracle or the 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 unusual thing about the Jew. The Jewish the Israelites pregnancy was the fact that every time a woman got pregnant she had a baby. And more than that says the Rashbam veyirbu and they all grew up and the little ones became big and they didn't die when they were young. Now Rashbam also lives in France in in the in the, in the, in the 12th century. Is, t- is again talking about the reality that he sees, and even more so in the, in the ancient world. So the, the the miracle for him was 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 not uh, was not outside of nature. Yeah, it was in the rules of nature, but it was a miracle it was because it was unusual. And they, every pregnancy was was healthy, and she and they had their child, and they grew up, and then came older people. And that's why there were so many people of the of the people of Israel. And that's how the Rajbam understand that. And and um Israel And we saw that immediately after that sentence, uh, that verse, the Sukh we have the Sukhet, verse eight chadash al mitzraim asher lo yada et yosef. And a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Yosef. And this verse comes right after the pasuk of how, you know, the, the, the numbers, the great number of the people of Israel. And that verse is surprising again. Also, what, what do you mean there is a new king who, does, who didn't know Yosef? What do you mean he didn't know yourself? You know, you have the dynasty, you have the, the writings, you have the history books. What do you mean that he did not know Yosef? And again, Rashi is quoting a midrash, and Rashi is saying, "Vayar komele chadash, a new king." Rav Shmuel, Rav Shmuel were two amora'im in Bavell at the beginning of the of the third century uh, in Bavell. Well, two of the great uh, amora'im of the Babylonian, Babylonian uh, Gemara Talmud, and Rav Shmuel, Chadamar, one of them said, "Chadash mamash," like actually knew, it was a new king. Like, it was really a new king. But <laughs> he renewed his decrees. Now, they're both saying something different and they're, and they're both understand the reality different. Rav says, if he didn't know Yosef, that means he's really new. Somehow there's a king that maybe he was too young, but somehow he doesn't know Yosef. But, Shmuel says, "No, no, no." After Yosef died, this king found an opportunity to abuse the people of Israel. zerotav. <inaudible> Here we knew these decrees, the things maybe that he wanted to do all the time, but he couldn't because he had respect to Yosef and to his brothers and to the to the first generation of those people, all those people who died that we saw in the previous psukim, and now it's time to do. Uh, uh, to have new decrees, Asher Lo Yada says Rashi that he didn't know Joseph. Omer Rashi, asa atzmo ilo. he made him. He 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 made uh, he pretended not to know Yosef Of course he knew Yosef He just pretended he didn't know because he didn't. He did not want the moral obligation that the Egyptians had to Yosef for saving them from famine. And 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 having you know have having their economy flourish. So he pretended he didn't know Yosef, therefore he could do whatever he wanted to the people of Yosef. Ibn Ezra, and if if we said that Rashbah didn't follow the footsteps of his fa- of his grandfather and he was he had this more more of a simple understanding, Ibn Ezra is the pure rationalist of of the commentators at that time again. Spain at the 13th century, Ibn Ezra was a very, very unique character. He was a very poor man, didn't have anything, any belongings, and all the knowledge that he knew was in his head. He was a walking library, he knew the Tanakh by heart, he knew Mishnah and Gemara by heart, he knew all the Midrashim by heart, he knew the commentaries. Of, Rab, of Rashi and Ramban, who, who became who before him, he knew it by heart. It was it was a real phenomenon. Ibn Ezra also moved; he traveled from from country to country in Europe. Every time he he, he found a new, um, how how shall I call it, a new rich person who supported him, and in return, Ibn Ezra wrote songs, poems to those rich people, and we have those poems. He was really he was a real character and, and 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 a great commentator and he and he was also again as i said very very rationalist, and he says yes, don't you know don't give me now any niradesh, renew it, he made he pretended It was a new king, it can happen, but what's the rationalist reason for a king in egypt not to know yourself? He didn't belong to the dynasty. He was a king that you know snapped the kingdom, maybe by a rebellion. Maybe he was a he was a general. These these things happen in the in the in the ancient world. We see it more and more when we get to the Greek and Roman empires. But but even as i saying, that's the only reasonable. Thing, to think if you talk about the why would the why would the Torah write that he was a new king if he wasn't a new king? He was a new king. How come he didn't know yourself? Because he came from a from from a different place. It, maybe even from a different, maybe from a different country, and he took over. We don't know. But that's why he said that's why that's why it says VaYakom and he rose. Right? The English says a new king arose. What do you mean a new king arose? It should be Malach. Ibn Ezra says this is a hint that it is uh, an entirely new king. Nevertheless, with the with the many, many, many children of Israel all over the land of of Egypt, and with a new and we should say hostile king, um, we move into into the rest of the verses of um, of our chapter. Uh and, and this is a this is a pasuk we saw last week but let's continue from here. And he said to his people, "Look, the Israelite people are much too numerous for us. Why what is he afraid of? Let us deal shrewdly with them so that they may not increase uh increase uh other, otherwise in the every in the event of a war." They may join our enemies in fighting against us and rise from the ground. Now he's afraid that during during a war the Jews, the Hebrews, will join the enemies and then something will happen. They will rise from the ground. And here again, there are many ways of understanding it. I think the two main main ways are: rise from the ground. They'll be more than us, and they'll take over our land, Egypt, and, you know, will become the rulers of our land. Or what most of the commentators agree on is that he is afraid that they will rise from the ground. They'll get up and leave Egypt and go back to their homeland. And then will we be left with no slaves, with no people to, you know, work for us, build our buildings for us, work the fields for us. And he was afraid of that. And, uh, and, and again, um, I, I wanted to make, make sure that you remember that he's the first person in Tanakh that call Am Israel Israelite people. Am Israel is a name, is, a, is a, uh, um, a description that Pharaoh is giving the people of Israel first. So, what is he doing? So, they, uh, they set taskmasters. Over, them, over the e- Israelite, to oppress them with forced labor and they built um, garrison cities for Pharaoh, Pitom and Ramses. Um, for those of you who um, who were not born in Israel, or of course we, we all know the story, but when, um, um, when Saadat, the Egyptian pre- uh, president came to Israel, in uh, seventy seven in nineteen seventy seven to uh to talk to beginkhohan and and then you know they declared the peace treaty and there was a big excitement and there were some you know uh, uh, articles in the paper saying that uh you know after so many years after we built the 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 pyramids in Egypt, now we can go back to see them and the, 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 all the scholars of the Bible, you know, hold their head and said, "No, no, no! We did not build the pyramids. There's a myth that started somehow that the people of Israel, the slave, the people of Israel, build the pyramids. Well, the pyramids were there for thousands of years before we came, before we went down to Egypt. Uh, Egypt, as I mentioned, was the biggest, the, uh, the long-lasting uh, uh, empire of the ancient world." And the pyramids were there from, from 4,000 BCE already um, next to Mesopotamia and like all these great nations that were there already. What the people of Israel built is exactly what it says here. They built 2 cities. The city of Pitom and the city of. Ramses. They built cities and that's what that's the labor that Pharaoh put upon them. To enslave them to make them work hard to make them depressed, oppressed, so they will never think, they will never think to, uh, to have any thoughts about freedom, any thoughts about being uh, a one nation, any thoughts about free will. And that, and I'm saying it in brackets, I think that's because you know, the, the um, Afro-American uh, slaves Found themselves so, so much so they they felt uh, a lot of sympathy to to the Hebrews and they took, you know, they took. We, we all know they took the the let my people go theme to be their theme of of, of freeing themselves from slavery, because, uh, and I, I go back to here what is very very clever, you know, a lot of rulers and and uh, dictators are very clever. We felt it in the 20th century and he says, I have to break their spirit. How do one break one's spirit? You, you make them work until they forget that they're human beings. And, uh, and that's what he's doing and they're building those cities. The cities are also very symbolic. Pitom and Ramses are after two, uh, uh, two gods. That is, Ramses was also a gener- generic name of, the, of, uh, of empire, of emperors of Egypt. Pharaoh, Pharaoh was one, and Ramses was another. Of names of uh, of kings in Egypt, and Ramses is, is um, the the word Ramses is, is from two different from two separate words. Ra, ra Ramses in Hebrew is Reish ra- Ein. Ra was a god. He was a god who uh, controlled almost everything in the, in Egyptian mythology, and including the sun and Mases, Mases is the son of so Ra Amses is the son of Ra and the kings of Egypt indeed considered themselves as the children of the gods whether we mostly was the god of sun they loved the god of sun Ra Amses and others but Ra Amses the child the child the son of of the god Ra and the people of Israel are building those those cities but the more they were oppressed, the more they increased and spread out. Something didn't work mathematically here. And we feel it, we see it, Paro feels it and see it. The people of Israel is also asking themselves, you know, it really it's against nature. The more they were oppressed, the more they increased and spread out. So that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and to start fearing them because something not normal is happening to them, something unnatural is happening to them. They have some powers. Now they already had as as and, and this is also in order to understand the entire story of, of, mitzvah, of Shemot, we should understand that in in um let's call it a polytheistic society is very tolerant because there 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 were no religious uh um um persecutions in the old ta- in 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 the ancient world because we we wanted to be the ruler but we didn't mind everyone believing any god they want it was true for the acadians for the B- babylonians the persian the assyrians the the greeks the romans they wanted the culture to be the same but you know Believe whatever God you want. The Syrian, believe whatever God you want. The Persians believe whatever God you want. So this, so is, is Egypt. In other words, what what was was the the fact that they believed many in many gods and the people of Israel believed a different God was very normal. But the the, um, the tension or the struggle was whose God is more is stronger? That was the battle. Whose God is stronger, and the whole process, together with building a nation and, and letting them understand that they're more than just a family, that they will become the nation of God. They will become, we will become the nation with a message, with a with a with a mission. There was also the the, um, the uh, 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 parallel to that was was it the new message to the entire world. That, that, that we're bringing, bringing upon a new belief, the idea of a God which is above everyone. He's, he's, he's outside of the world and he controls everything and he created everything. And of course, he's stronger than any of the Egyptians' gods. And when, when it says that they came to dread the Israelite, that also means it comes together with the dread their God. Because people are not getting stronger unless their God is greater than our God. And that is a great um, knockout for Pharaoh, right? Because he is the greatest God. And if his people are afraid of the Israelites, that means I have to be even crueler and and more um, um, tough in, in my uh, demands. And the Egyptians, uh, ruthlessly imposed upon the Israelite Now, and the situation is, and and again, the whole, the entire process is a process of the, of the unbelievable, of of the, um, uh, what's the word? Uh, inconceivable. Is that a good word? It's just inconceivable events. Like every every sentence just just doesn't make sense in everyone's perspective. And they're all living that and trying to make sense of it. At the bottom is are the Israelites who are working so hard as slaves and they can't even pick up their eyes and, and look up and understand what's happening. Pharaoh is an, Pharaoh understands quite well that this is a this is a battle between between him and this new God that the Israelites brought uh, brought with them. And his people, the people his people, like Pharaoh's people, are in, in, in the middle. But, but the, and the more power they put upon the, the, the people of Israel, and um, they, they try to break the spirit of the people of Israel, but, but number-wise, they're still growing, and that doesn't make sense to, to, the, to him. Uh, and the various labor that they made them perform ruthlessly, they made life bitter for them with harsh labor at, at mortar and bricks, and with all sorts of tasks in the field, okay? They made their life bitter, and they left bitter with a harsh labor. And we, we ha- it, because, we, because we know it was all God's plan, we should ask ourselves, why? Why did he have to bring the people of Israel to such a level of bitterness and harsh labor and and even you know you know give up life sometimes or or give up hope uh, and only then bring them out. Why to bring them all the way down to the lowest level of, of despair and then bring them bring them up and, and and again I think if we remember what we started with with the Ramban saying that everything that happened to the Avot happened to happened to uh, happened to the children. And what we find with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, Sarah Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, they, have, they all have some, some sort of, 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 um, of a private conversation with God. It was very clear to them that everything that happens to them is from God. And in a way, this, this, this pattern or this paradigm of, of belief is what God would like us to have in our life. In other words, is the understanding that that specifically, if even so, Datsko, when it is difficult to turn to God and to say, you can say very harsh things. The examples we have from Avraham, you know, Abraham stands stands up uh, in front of God and is like, and he's giving him criticism. He's giving him criticism on Sodom, He's like well, God, you you forgot that you're the God of justice and how can you destroy an entire city? Maybe there's one good person there. And he also stands in front of God when God tells him, oh, I will give you everything you want. And Avram is telling him, really? You're gonna give me everything I want? The only thing I want, you did not give me. You didn't give me a son before the birth. In other words, the the relationship with God, is not a relationship of flattering, and just saying good things, and like, and even not just saying thank you. The relationship with God is to know that in every level of existence, from the lower one to the higher one, knowing that God is there and have the according accordingly conversation with Him, with God, and even if we what if even if what we want to say is harsh things, or maybe it's anger, or maybe it's um, uh, it, it's maybe even resentment. I I once heard an amazing conversation by Eli Wiesel uh may you rest in peace and and uh Rabe Judah uh, may rest in peace both holocaust uh survivors and Eli Wiesel who had during his life had very complicated relationship with God very came from a very Hasidic family all his youth was just learning Torah and then he lost his faith during the holocaust and he regained it again after very very they met a, a, a remarkable, remarkable person, and he said he said, "I always knew that I can tell God the hardest and the harshest things that, I, that that I want to tell him and I, and, and, he, and he adds, "And I had good reasons you know to even to rebuke God. That's what he says. but the one thing I did I knew that I can do and I won't do is chutzpah." I hope everyone understands what chutzpah is because I don't know how to explain it in English. Okay, so and and what is chutzpah mean? Chutzpah means maybe is to tell God, oh, you know, you should have done this and this and this. Not to tell God what to do, but the things that God does do to us, we can turn to Him and say, like, well, we don't understand that. So in a way, maybe, and that's just an a. An, uh, um, a suggestion that what God is waiting for the for Hebrews to, to happen is for them to get to that point in the lowest level. That at that point, they will all of a sudden remember the God of their forefathers. Like, oh, yeah, we have her to turn to. Okay. We'll continue next week. Thank you. Stay healthy. Bye, bye, Susan. Bye, David. Shabbat Tov, everyone. Chodesh Tov. Chodesh Tov. Yes, yes. Chodesh Tov. True. Thank you. You're very welcome.